Are you looking for hope? Then you're in the right place. If you're not, well, you're still in the right place because we all need hope. Welcome to the Shine and Delight podcast. We hope to navigate life's storms together as we encourage and build up one another to find true saving hope in the only one that can truly satisfy. We can't fix your problems, but we'll definitely point you towards someone who will. Come along. What's up, Shine and Delight listeners? Lovely uh, people. We are back. We are back. Ro is here. Do I have to introduce myself? Or? No, no, I was just saying Ro is here. Okay, you're stating, here. stating a fact? Stating a fact. Okay, gotcha. The truth, actually, I'm seeing it with my own eyes. And so t- two of us were actually sick last week. Yes, yeah. So we were sick last week, so uh, I had a little 24-hour virus, you know. Wow. Wasn't very fun. Little stomach virus. It's fine. Got better the next day, and uh, Navia was sick as well. But we are back because we're God back. is good, bringing us back. And Ro has our opener question of Let's the go. day. We're just gonna keep it simple. What's your favorite candy? Ooh, we talking like chocolates or like candy, candy, like sweets? What do we? Everything. Just yeah. Just oh, open, okay. open question. Ladies and gentlemen, Reese's peanut butter cups. If okay. I can get a dark chocolate one, even better. So if you want to mail me some, my address is just kidding. Not gonna do not, that. Do not but, say your uh, address. <laughs> but please, uh, yeah, we'd love some peanut butter cups sometime. The sour patches, you know what that is? I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sour I, I, yeah, like I have lots of those. <laughs> Five pound bag in the car yes. right now. <laughs> I uh, I go back and forth. Um, like I, I I more candy than I'd, I'd like to admit. Uh, yeah, I, I will say my like favorite piece of candy. You can't buy it in a grocery store because it's kind of a specialty thing. But like these, they're sour Jolly Ranchers, specifically the strawberry flavor. Ooh, okay. And they're very hard That's to find. I, I don't think they make them anymore because I haven't found them anywhere. eBay. Um, yeah, not. I don't know. I don't. I don't trust eBay. Sour Jolly Ranchers and. Oh, I have to give us. You said flip flop. You flip up between two. Oh, I mean, I no, not between two, between several. Like I also, oh. you got sour gummy bears. I'm ah, a big okay. fan of those. Okay, gotcha. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, so get yourself some candy right now. Pause, go to the gas station, wherever you're at in your house, grab some candy that we have some more energy to pay attention because we have a big topic today. And as you do that, remember to share, like, subscribe, leave a comment, and tell your friends about Jesus and Shining Delight. And ask a question as well. Leave a comment. Where, where do they leave comments? Dude, the Instagram. Oh, okay. I forgot, we're, I forgot we're on Instagram. I didn't know if you were putting this on YouTube too. If that, if that, oh, no, no, no. No, we're not saying, we're not doing that live video yet. <laughs> right. So today we're talking about pride. Ooh, P-R-I-D-E, pride or pre-day. Yeah. yeah. So if you guys have ever taken any personality test, you're going to find this question, uh, a question such as this. If you're completely being honest with yourself, do you think you're significantly better than most people you interact with? So how what? do you guys, yeah. What, what, what? Like personality test is asking you that question. Enneagram, Myers Briggs, Carlos. Enneagram did not ask that when I took the test. Oh, it does ask a similar variation of oh, that. Okay. Like, do you feel as if you have more significant contributions to the society than other people? Oh. Like all personality tests have a question such as that. Mm, I beg to differ. But... I would say no, because my entire job right now is theorizing about the law. So I don't really make a whole lot of contributions to society. So no, I would say no. Well, I have a very informed biblical decision on this, and knowing that we are created in God's image, we're all equal in that. So even if a personality to- test told me that I was better than someone else, like I'd still be like, that's a lie. But when we went on the Enneagram, and I have taken the Enneagram test and the Myers-Briggs and things like that, I always look and I'm like, man, I want to be that type. Like that type just sounds more fun. Like type seven, always just going and doing stuff, you know, kind of a deal. I'm like, I want to be type seven. And I'm not. And I'm like, dang it. Or there's certain types that are leaders only, and you're like, Oh man, I'm a type six. That's not a leader. I'm just, I'm doomed. I'm never going to make it in life. 
And so I think they put us in boxes a lot of times, just Enneagram, Myers-Briggs. And so we start to limit our mindset. And someone may be like, I'm a type six. Well, I'm a type eight. So you're right. I think it does have an, when we start breaking people into boxes like that, it does create um, boundaries and it creates division and it can create pride. And for me, it's usually the CISO moment because, I mean, I'm like, well, I started a non-profit organization when I was 18, but then I'm also like, yeah, I'm a broken, pathetic human being in need of a perfect savior. So uh, it's it's a one, and then I find myself selecting a 10, and then it meets somewhere in the middle. And also, I mean, living in Texas, uh, in Dallas specifically, I constantly come up across people from Texas A&M University, and I've never met a people as prideful. As That's what they do, right? Texas Whoop. Argus, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually... No, no, they gig him, right? Uh, yeah, same, they do, it's yeah, two different things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Same but, school, uh, two different things. Very, very, uh, very prideful in yeah. that sense. So but, is there, yes? Go ahead, no, is, is, is there anything wrong with that? I mean, being proud of uh, your alma mater or being proud of your, I mean, American pride, high row, uh, <laughs> Hi, Ro. <laughs> I, I just want to say to the audience, I completely accept the role of proud American. I completely accept that role. When you when you said when you sent this outline in the group chat, and you like you talking about national pride, and you know whether it's and then you you t- called me out in the group chat. I'm perfectly okay with that. I don't know if you meant that as an insult or not. I'm perfectly okay wearing the mantle of American pride on the Shine and Delight team. Yeah. What about you, Andrew, with your Captain I mean, America I say, shirt? I'm literally wearing Captain America shirt right now. Um, <laughs> man, I think there is, there's like, when we say pride or proud, when we say pride, maybe think, oh, he's got a big pride or something like that, big ego. And it can mean that where someone's very uh, self-centered and looks at how they can gain from things and has a, a big head, so to speak, in that. Um, but I also think there's a, a side of that where I am very proud. You're saying God has given me these gifts or God has put me in this area and I'm going to be proud. I'm going to honor that. I'm going to take care of it. I'm not going to say, oh, no, it's just, you know, my country's stupid or this is dumb and I'm not going to take care of it. No, God's given this to me for a reason. And I think we should take uh, some some pride inside of that. Yeah. But it, it should never be, whatever it is, should never be our number one thing. And it should never cause us to say, man, I'm better than you because I'm X, Y, and Z. It should be like, you know, I would say A&M Aggies. That's great. We have a lot of those listeners probably. And it's like, yeah, I am very proud that I made such great relationships. I went to such a school, you know, and but honestly, my school, it may be better in some ways, but it doesn't define me. It doesn't make me a better person than anyone else by going there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's along kind of along those same lines. I mean, I don't think there's anything sinful of saying that America is a blessing. And I really think it, it's the greatest country that's ever existed. And it's a blessing to the rest of the world. There's nothing wrong or sinful with believing that. That's why you're here. I mean, I think that you inherently believe that too. I agree. Yeah. And so there, there's nothing wrong with believing that. But like Andrew said, when that becomes your identity and when that mm. eclipses the role of God in your life, then you have a problem. And in the same role as alma maters, I mean, I, I went to Hendricks College. I'm wearing my Hendricks baseball shirt right now. I loved my time at Hendricks. I'm you know, it, it was a good time. I made a lot of great relationships. I still hang out with the people that I went to school with. I came to know the Lord at Hendricks. So there's nothing wrong with me loving my time at Hendricks. But again, my identity is not defined by the fact that I went to a liberal arts college in the South because no one cares. Nine out of 10 people I, I meet when I say I went to Hendricks, nine out of 10 will say, I don't, I've never heard of it. Right. So. Right. Now, these two examples, I mean, Alma Mater, National Pride, these are perfect examples of, you know, uh, superiority that could be factual and it could be uh, preferential, right, based on your opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, there's a very thin line between actual superiority and superiority complex, right? So when we talk about race pride and career pride and social status pride, you know, like, I'm proud because I look like this or 
I am proud because I work in a certain field or I'm proud because I do these things. So like, how do you guys resolve that? Luke 18, verse 9, starting in verse 9. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, which the temple, that was the holiest spot in Judaism. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisee would have been seen as the best of the best, tax collector, worst of the worst. So Jesus is taking the two extremes. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of what I get, of all I get. In other words, God, thank you that I'm so amazing. So this guy's got an ego. Continuing, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, Jesus is saying, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus is taking someone who would have been seen as evil, and he is saying this guy will actually be exalted in God's eyes because he was willing to look at himself and notice his own depravity and thereby understand his need for a savior. And then you look at the Pharisee, who would have been seen as just a great guy, Tim Tebow, by our context, and he said, this guy <laughs> this guy will refuse to humble himself before the Lord because he thinks he's so amazing, and because of that, he will be humbled. And I just think that that's such a good picture that it really doesn't matter how you're seen in the world or like what your social status is or where you're seen in the eyes of other believers. If you are willing to humble yourself before God and admit, I'm a broken sinner, I need a Savior, doesn't matter where you start, Jesus will accept you if you're willing to make that declaration. Mm, man, that was good. Uh, it made, made me immediately think that my head was going one way. Now you just redirected me. Um, the fact is what our pride is what keeps us from God. Yeah. Is we can say that I can do this. I'm independent. I got this. Look at me um, versus the opposite of that. The opposite of what, what Christianity really is, is saying, man, I can't do this. Man, I have to let go of myself because I have to grab hold of him, have to grab hold of Jesus and what he's done for his work on the cross um, inside of that. And there's so many things that we they get in the way with our pride. And I think just Proverbs 16, 9, pride, or is that 16, 18, sorry. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, and immediately, I talked about it last time, I'm pretty sure about King Nebuchadnezzar. And he looks at his palaces, look at all that I have built. And God says, it will be required of you this day. And he becomes like an animal. And then we look at like the opposite of that, not being proud, saying, hey, God has given me everything. King David in, in, in 2 Samuel, when he's in Jerusalem, and he just has his heart, he's looking, why is my God inside of a tent? Right, I want to build him a house, and and then and that, that's his desire. He's like, man, I don't want to build myself more stuff. I actually want to make God's name greater, God bigger. And David, of course, can't do that. His son Solomon does because David had been a man of war, and God wants someone holy to make that. But just two different spectrums, two different kings. Look what I've done, and just the heart says, man, I want to make my God bigger. You know the crazy thing and the uncomfortable truth about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It was something you just said made me think of this. Um, we like to think that the Pharisee, or the, the Pharisee who's very high and mighty and who has a high opinion of himself, we like to think that that's someone else, but in reality, that's all of us. Mm, um, yep. it, it, you know, To the person who says, I, I'm good because I've gone to church my entire life. I serve on Sundays. I work with, with the kids' ministry. I, you know, I, I park cars. I do all of these things, and because of that, I'm good. That person is the Pharisee in this story. Any person that thinks that I have done this, therefore I'm in good shape, you're not. Um, the, the only answer to the question, you know, kind of, I'm kind of going all over the place, but if someone were to ask you, if you died today and God asked you and God said, why should I let you into heaven? Any answer to that question that starts with, because I, if you're answering that question by saying, because I did X, Y, and Z, 
you are the Pharisee in that equation. If you answer that question by saying, I should go to heaven because I was a good person, because I went to church every week, because I served, because I did X, Y, and Z, because I said this prayer, wrong. You are the Pharisee in that equation. The only way to be the tax collector in that equation, the person who's justified before God, is to start the answer to that question with, because he. Why should I let you into heaven? Because he said I could be here. Because Jesus died for me. Because Jesus took the penalty. Right? So the only, the only way to go from being the Pharisee in that equation to being the tax collector is your perspective. Yeah, pride is more of a, a service of me. It's all about me. How can I serve myself? How can others serve me? Service of me versus uh, obviously being humble, being meek is a service to others. I, I think pride is fed, is usually fed by your accomplishments, right? So let's say you're talking to Jeff Bezos. Can or, be. It can be. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, there I, I know plenty of people who, um, you know, like it, pride in my life manifested itself when I go into a room and I'm self-conscious mm. and think, oh, everyone's laughing at me. Everyone's making fun of me. You know, yeah, I'm self-conscious and I'm kind of being weak and pathetic, but at the same time, that's still pride because my focus is me, right? So, I mean, sometimes pride can come from successes, but a lot of times pride can come from our own self-consciousness. So what if you're awesome? I mean, what you what if you're Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin or Elon Musk with all these amazing companies and truly you have done it all in quotes and people look up to you, what's the issue with being prideful or taking pride in your accomplishments? Because it, it's all meaningless at the end of the day. I mean, in a hundred years, Jeff Bezos isn't going to own that yacht. He'll be dead. Um, you know, it, it's all meaningless at the end of the day. That's what Solomon said when he was going through Ecclesiastes. Here's a guy who owned, you know, the cattle on a thousand hills. He had parties where 15,000 people would come over for dinner regularly. He had 700 wives. He was the richest man probably in history. And he had all of these things. He was Jeff Bezos before Jeff Bezos. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes, it's all meaningless, right? I mean, that, that would be my answer if I got to meet Jeff. I doubt Jeff would ever want to sit down and talk to me because he's got better <laughs> things to do. But that would be my answer if Jeff ever asked me that question. Yeah, yeah I was thinking about uh, Luke, looked it up, Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool, actually, where Jesus goes in. And Jesus talks in parables, so it's not direct, but he gives us the example for all of eternity, more or less, we can take away from that, or all of mankind's existence. The rich fool who decides that has this abundance of grains, he's like, oh, I will build more barns. I'll put all my, I will store more stuff because it's such an abundant harvest. And he just gets more, more, more. And then God says, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you, right? And that's just this, this eternal perspective is like his pride was in his grains and his possessions. He's like, I'm going to hoard more of it because look at me. And all of a sudden God says, but you answer to me. And that's ultimately where we're coming from is saying no matter how much pride we have and no matter how great we think we are, you know, we can name the most, the biggest person around. It says, but you're not as big as God. Mm. You're not there. He's still in authority. He's still in control. And he can choose to require your life of you right now or tomorrow. Well, it's really uncomfortable for someone that's successful to admit the reason I have what I have is because God allowed it to happen. It's very difficult for someone to make that admission. I mean, when you look at the rich young ruler, a guy that we have talked about on this podcast several times, um, he he said, you know, I've kept all the commandments since I was a kid. And he, he did not understand, you know, he, he had all this money. He did not understand that all of that came from Jesus, right? Like, like he said, the cattle on a thousand hills, those all belong to God. They don't belong to the rich young ruler. They don't belong to Jeff Bezos. The yacht that he just built for himself, it does not belong to Jeff Bezos. He got a new yacht? He did. Oh, it, it actually, it's actually pretty cool. It has a helicopter pad and it's got a second yacht. Oh, wow. <laughs> it has, oh, wow. I mean, that's so big. A second yacht comes out of it and that second yacht's nicer than most other billionaires' yachts. Okay. But anyway, I mean, the, the materials that they used to build that yacht, God created those materials, 
right? You know, the success that he has that enabled him to buy that yacht, God allowed him to have that success. Oh yeah. It's from him and to him and through him are all things. Romans eleven thirty six. Right? That's where it comes from. So what are some of the dangers that I mean, some of the dangers in the moment and maybe in the life to come that are associated with having an attitude of superiority? Well, first off, if you know, if you're not a if you don't if you're not a Christian or you just claim another worldview of any kind, um, it is what separates us from God. Um, as you may have a superior to like, I'm better than those Christians, I'm better than God. I'm better than XYZ person uh, over inside of that. Um, and so that tends to um, stop you from coming to hear Christ. And as a Christian, um, it actually ruins our witness um, in that sense as God has created every man equal. And we start getting this um, superiority complex of like, oh, man, but I haven't sinned as much as that guy. Or, but I go to X, Y, and Z church and I know X, Y, and Z. Um, we're all equal in his eyes. And at the day of judgment, it says, I mean, it says, for all of sin, of all short of the glory of God. Um, and that tells me I'm just as much a sinner as Neville or the, the guy in the street or the billionaire down the road or whatnot. So that we have to recognize that we are all, all equal in God's eyes and we all have sinned. Can I, uh, can I read the verse that keeps me up at night? Sure. Am I allowed to read that? Okay. Matthew 7, Jesus saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Many, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And I think that that verse applies to the version of myself before I was 20 years old and I actually started following Jesus, where I thought that I was in a good spot because I was doing all of these things and checking all of the boxes. But I wasn't actually following Jesus. I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do. And I never saw a problem with that because my pride got in the way mm. and said, you're doing everything right. You're fine. You're in a good spot. You know, you don't have to worry about actually following Jesus because, you know, you said the sinner's prayer, you wear a cross necklace, you pray before meals, you're doing the right thing, so you're good. And then it didn't take until I was about 20 years old before I realized that I was not in a good spot because I wasn't following Jesus, I was following me. And, you know, I think that the the terrifying thing about that verse is the word choice, many, that there will be many on that day who say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? And then Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. The word many is terrifying because there are a lot of people who, like me, you know, before I was 20, thought that they were doing everything correctly but weren't actually following Jesus. Awesome. And pride pride is the reason for that. Wow. Kind of tying it back to pride. And I like what Andrew talked about on the last episode, that the only unforgivable sin is the sin of pride that prevents you from accepting the truth of Jesus dying on that cross to save you. That was awesome. Mm. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Pride, like the, the unforgivable sin, that's kind of a weird you know, label, it, it's not unforgivable because no sin is unforgivable. It just prevents you from ever asking for forgiveness because pride will convince you you don't need forgiveness. I think that's kind of what the Bible says. Yeah. You, would you agree? I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so I really, I like what I think Andrew talked about, um, that, hey, I haven't seen as much as that other person, so I'm better than them, right? Comparison. Comparison, right? And that brings us to the next topic, which is sanctimony, uh, which is defined as the acting or practice of acting as if one were morally superior to other people. And we are seeing that in America today. I mean, conservatives versus liberals, uh, with the whole thing about flat others versus <laughs> spherical others, uh, vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers. How many actual flat earthers exist? Like, like is it more than 10? <laughs> 
<laughs> I have yet to meet based on the uh, yeah. That's not much as much of a debate debate anymore, based because we have satellites and we see the solar system and we have all this great technology now. Someone someone came up with a theory that flat Earth is actually a conspiracy to be the first people sent into space as private citizens because they. <laughs> it was a joke, but he's saying you know one, now that we have the ability to put private citizens in space, you know someone will say, oh, we got to put the flat Earthers on the on the first spaceship so that they can see they're wrong. And he thinks that the flat earth movement is just a whole conspiracy so that they can sarcastically be put on the first spaceship so that they can see the earth. They can see the earth. Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this is like, like it's all a joke and they just want to be on the first spaceship out of here. What about voxes versus anti-voxes or masks or no masks or science versus religion and all this stuff? Go ahead. There's a few things in there that, um, I mean, they do have to do deal with pride at the heart of the issue in that. Um, I'm going to say the, the biggest one in all of those um, is the fact that we want to be right and we want to hold on to something. There's a lot of, especially now in the world, there's so much uncertainty and things are shifting so quickly uh, that we just want, we want some sort of truth to hold on to. And we can't have our truth be wrong because then if it is, I'm wrong and everything I know is wrong. Um, and, and so inside of these, a lot of these questions, we could say as a Christian, they are, might be theologically gray areas yes. where the Bible does not directly say, hey, which says, don't do wear a mask, don't wear a mask, X, Y, and Z throughout. And yes, you can quote some scriptures about uh, with unveiled face, we will behold the glory of God. We see this. We're not arguing about this. But it's a theologically gray area where you can say, wear it if it's best for you. Don't wear it if it's not best for you um, inside those things. But we're like, no, no, you have to do this. You don't have to do this because that's what we're holding on to is our truth. And our truth in, swells up into pride. And then we can't see our brothers and sisters in Christ or those who don't even know Christ at all because we're, and we're losing our witness. Are we assuming, we are assuming that our moral standing is of a higher claim than those people who do not agree with us, right? Yes. In each of this um, subsets, yeah. I want to make two points to your question. You, you pointed out, you know, vaxxers, people that didn't want the vaccine, mass, no mass, conservative, liberal, and then you said science versus religion. Yeah. I disagree with you there because I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a dichotomy. I think that, you know, if, if you were, Thomas Aquinas once said, if, if your view of the Bible conflicts with science, then you're reading the Bible wrong. Um, and, and who was uh, Thomas Aquinas again? He was a theologian in the 14th century. But regardless, my, my point is the common theory is that science and the Bible conflict each other because, you know, our modern view of the world would suggest that, you know, there were not six days of, of creation, literally, you know, not six 24-hour periods, that type of thing. Um, and, and the reason I want to go to that is because that's a common misconception and that the Bible and science, they, they go together. They're not opposites. Um, in fact, in Job 26... It says he stretches the, the north out over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. So for several thousands of years, people did not realize that the earth hung by itself in space, not resting on anything. But yet the Bible did know that. The Bible was thousands of years ahead of its time. Um, the Bible talks about gravity before science had an understanding of gravity. Um, the pioneers of early science were all Christians, Isaac Newton, Galileo, um, even Richard, or not the evolution guy, someone help me. Darwin. Darwin. Darwin, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was even buried in, in Westminster Church. Um, I don't know if he was a believer, but he at least had ties to the church. And so the idea that, that science and, and the Bible contradict each other is just something that I like to push back on whenever I can. Do you have much on that's just a quick That's just a quick tangent, by the way. Yeah, do you have much of a take on Stephen Hawking? Sadie Hawkins dance in my khaki pants, nothing better than, oh, oh, oh. On, uh, it's a like, little throwback song specific there thing i mean uh, especially in the career. science religion thing uh, uh stephen hawkins was an, an atheist very yes. scientific i think he was a phys brilliant. physics brilliant absolutely he, very his good. his professor chair that he occupied at the university of awkward awkward at the university of oxford was once <laughs> occupied by isaac newton 
So wow. he is the successor to Isaac Newton at the University of Oxford. There's a lot of a lot of Christians who've occupied that same position over yeah. over time, um, and so we just see a change to now where we say the sciences do not point back to God, um, and yet the biggest thing that science is missing is where did it all come from? Yeah, um, actually, the, the Big Bang points back towards the Creator because ex nihilo is Christian view that man it did come out of nothing. Everything came out of nothing because God spoke it into existence. Yeah. Um, so, but even if we do see them as different, we separate them because some of our audience may do that. Um, that you know what we're saying? That's okay. Versus the person who says, "I, I, I you can't separate those one not." I think that's that part of the thing about pride is saying, "I have to be right, my way or the highway." And man, this is so destructive for the unity of the church and so destructive for our ability to talk to people and love people well. Um, inside of that, I, mean, I just think the we have to flip our heads as Christians and someone who's listening who's not a Christian is like our job, Jesus, the way that Jesus taught things, it says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And he says, whoever would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it, right? What good is it a man gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? That's what he says in, in, in Matthew 16 and also in Luke again. Um, and so we are called to lose what? Yeah, as Christians, we are called to lose all the time, to lose that argument for the sake of the gospel, right? Well, to, to not be the superior person so that we can have a witness and love them well. But we're, we're so much conflict and just hitting each other in the church and outside the church to like, man, the world just sees, oh, that's just another person, just an arguer. When God says, you know, um, if you have, the world will know them by the way they have love for each other in John 13, 34. Right, he'll know my disciples by the way they have love for one another, and I don't think we're doing a good job of showing that right now at all. As a whole, yeah. uh, Stephen Hawking, there's a fundamental difference between religion, which is based on authority, and science, which is based on observation and reason. Science will win because it works. Agency and mechanism do not compete with one another. If you see a house, if you see a house that is. If you, you know, there are a lot of pretty houses around here. You're a real estate guy. You've seen a lot of houses. There's <laughs> a lot of pretty houses in Dallas. That's for sure. If you see a house, you automatically assume there was an architect and there was an engineer that put that house together. You have an architect that planned out every square inch of that house and how it would be laid out. And then you had an engineer that took those blueprints and executed that design. There's nothing wrong with seeing those two, th those two roles working together, a designer and someone who put that design into practice. In the same way, when I look at the universe... And I see it ordered in such a way that it is, where we have such a good understanding of gravity that we can put a satellite, or not a satellite, we can put a probe on Mars and a specific crater in one attempt, right? Because we have such a good understanding of gravity. And the reason we have such a good understanding of gravity is because it's predictable. And the reason it's predictable is because it's orderly. And the reason why it's orderly, I believe, is because there was something that made it orderly. There was something that made the universe predictable and orderly and, and something that, that made the seasons happen at the same time every year. Um, we live in an orderly universe. And... I have I see no problem with the laws of science and also coexisting with uh, with the Lord. Um, I, ha I have no problem believing in the Big Bang theory because it ex it is mathematical proof of Genesis one three, um, in, in my opinion. And so when I look at the universe and I see our understanding of the universe, I don't think that it conflicts with the Bible because the Bible tells us that God created the universe, and then science comes in and says exactly how God created the universe. And I think earlier I mentioned that Isaac Newton was a Christian. I think the reason why Isaac Newton was a Christian, and so were a lot of people that were colleagues with Isaac Newton, is because they expected law in nature. As a scientist, as a physicist, he expected law in nature, and he expected law in nature because he expected a lawgiver. So, you know, going back to Stephen Hawking when he said that science will win, um, 
I, I don't know what he means by that statement. I think what he's trying to imply is that our understanding of God will become obsolete. But I just I don't see that happening. I mean, the scientific advancements we've made in the last forty years, um, probably we've made larger leaps in the last couple of decades than in all of human history before, and yet <laughs> our understanding of God isn't obsolete. In fact, it's it's quite uh, it's grown a lot. Um, so I, I think kind of responding to that statement, there's there's no contradiction between our, under, our our understanding of science and our belief that a divine creator set an orderly universe into motion. Mm. The heavens declared the glory of God. Right, Psalm nineteen one. With the rest of that saying, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And looking at that, and so we see creation as supposed to point us back to God. Romans one twenty says it again. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through what has been made. Like the world points back to God, but men decide. The rest of Romans one shows us that men suppress that inside of that. But if you if you are of Hawkins mindset, you don't believe that scientists point back to God. Like, let's talk more about that. And if you're a Christian and believe that, that's okay too. Let's talk more about that. Because, right, what defines as Christians we have to get back to is saying, I'm defined by the cross and who Christ is. The fact that he died on the cross, rose from the grave, defeating death for us, and through him and him alone, can we not only have eternal life, but live life like we're supposed to on this earth? Um, and we might get caught up too much in this scientific debate, which I studied biology in college. I'm 100% that biology and life points back to a creator uh, in, my, in my life. But at the same time, it's like, if that's what's keeping you up, uh, that's keeping you from the cross and Jesus, then, hey, let's talk more about it. Let's get you there. I, I love that you're, you are allowing for there to be room for conversations on this, uh, which is not what we see in our world today, right? You see people uh, throwing punches on social media at each other, right? Uh, with the whole right. vaccine and mask thing. Like, right. how do we resolve that? How do we find a resolution to that? Because unfortunately, that has crept into the church where you see there being... Um, uh, a thing on Pentecostals was was Baptists, right? In the intro, as Ro was recording, the intro Ro mentioned something to do with prosperity preachers uh, versus non-prosperity preachers. And you also have the main topic, death probe versus pro-choice. What, what is death probe? You, when you say death probe, do you mean death penalty? Is that yes. Right? Okay. So which, which one of those do you want us to talk about? Uh, I mean, plate by ear. Uh, so different denominations, how they come about. They disagreed on one theological difference or two, whatever in that sense. But the majority of the churches uh, that are right now that are upholding to a Christian, Christian creed, I'm going to say, can take it back to the Apostles' Creed. Um, and we are one universal church under that. And, then we'd certain, and so I'm saying, hey, Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it talks about. You know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we focus on and whatnot. And we focus on that. We can be unified. But then when we say, no, actually, this theological implication is way too important. I'm very prideful about that. We have to have this certain church inside of that. And I'm okay with different churches and different viewpoints. Like, that's normal. That's okay. But we still have to come back and say, actually, we're on the same mission. Let's work together. Is that happening at the moment? What do you think, bro? I mean, it's not like it's not like Northern Ireland in the 60s. I mean, we don't have... <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I like, yeah, I like the, that perspective. Yeah, the Catholic Protestant thing hasn't been, hasn't been bloody for a while. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think we've relatively done a good job as the church staying in our lane. I mean, I was at a, I, I we go to a, a non-denominational church. And when I went home last year for Christmas, I went to mass with my mom. The priest at a, you know, at a Catholic service was talking about salvation through grace alone and how we're only saved by faith and nothing mm. we can do. Come on. And I was like, you know, as, as different as you could possibly be inside the Christian community is are the non-denominationals and the Catholics. I mean, I don't think there's much more of a difference that you can have. And 
yet we're talking about the same gospel. We're talking about the same Savior. We're talking about the same thing that happened on that weekend, you know, around 30 AD. We're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, we're, we're talking about the same thing. And I think as long as we're both talking about the same gospel and we're bringing it back to Jesus, you know, there are ancillary theological differences that we have, and those are, you know, some are more significant than others, but we're at least True. pulling in the same direction. True. Some are more different than others. I was even talking this morning, someone said they had a conversation with someone who was Catholic, and right, I agree with some Catholic views, I disagree with others. Yeah. And I was just joking. I was like, you know what that that's from, right? Catholic? I was like, it's in the Apostles' Creed, because kata uh, and alas is the Greek of the whole according to the whole. And so it's even, it's even the Greek saying the holy Catholic church, the whole universal church of the whole church. This is our view on God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit um, inside of that. I think we need to unify underneath that and stop getting such big heads on the smaller things. What's the origin of the Apostles' Creed? Um, written down, I want to say third, fourth century, I believe in that in the, that time frame, um, by the fathers of the church at that time, um, hammered out like here's, creeds are just, here's our beliefs, here's what we, and we'd say it on a weekly basis. Um, and, and sometimes people talk about routine repetition, like, oh, I shouldn't just be repeating things. I'm like, but the repetition behind it helps us to remember, oh, this is what I believe. When someone asks me what I believe, it's very good, especially when they didn't have as much access to books and things going on there that they had it memorized. You're like, oh yeah, I believe in God the Father mighty maker of heavens and earth. I believe in Jesus, the son, you know, Jesus Christ, the son, our Lord. And then talk about, I believe in the Holy Spirit, like all the way across that, like, oh yeah, that's what I believe. And goes across that. Death probe versus pro-choice. So death probe, death penalty, So we're talking yes. about. And uh, pro-choice choice versus uh, pro-life. Yes. Mm. So death penalty, death penalty versus not the death penalty inside of those things. And again, we have a, well, let's go for the abortion one first. Um, so let's, just, let's just go for it. Let's, let's just go rip for the band Because well, we, uh, we have a new law passed here in Texas for, um, you know, pro-lifers. That's and the, just out of transparency, I support that law. Heartbeat, I like the law. Heartbeat bill. Yeah. Um, inside of, as soon as the heartbeat registered, which is about six weeks, it's illegal to have an abortion. Anyone who, who does an abortion at, uh, after six weeks, the providers of that, whoever did that, can be fined up to $10,000 or sued, really, because it has to be brought by an individual, not the government. So, yeah, that's an important, very not, important. not a fine. It's, it's, a, it's a lawsuit. It's a lawsuit. So it's not a very pretty law in terms of written. I'm sure Roe could look into that based on what I've heard and understand. But is a law in effect, uh, in effect to help protect unborn children. Give you a quick, you know, 20 second background of the law. Generally speaking, when a law is challenged in court, you sue the person in the state government who is charged with um, carrying out that law, right? So Roe versus Wade, I believe that Wade was a state official who was charged with carrying out the law. Could be wrong on that. Um, and so because uh, uh, under constitutional law, you have to have standing in order to bring a lawsuit, right? You have to have skin in the game. Hmm. So the way that they structure the law is that if a doctor performs an abortion, then that doctor can be sued by anyone for up to $10,000, not the woman, the doctor. And the reason why they did it that way is because you can't just, you can't sue the state of Texas because the state of Texas is not in charge of enforcing the law. Mm. You can't, you have to sue the person um, who's in charge of enforcing the law, but there is no like one person that you can sue. So anywhere you bring a lawsuit to, you wouldn't have standing. So that, that's kind of like the trick. That's why they structured that law that way. Just to kind of give you like a little 20, 30 second background. Yeah. So here's my, here's the verse, which I think a lot of, some people a lot of heard in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, David talking about God. He says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb, right? Um, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them, right? You're, I saw my unformed substance, right? And so Psalm 139, 13 through 16, go and read that. And you will see that David's saying, God has knit us together in the womb. He's intricately made us individually. Um, and so we believe in the, as Christians, the value of every human life.
everything, right? We are all created in the image of God. Um, you see every and human life. Male and female, every human life. Yeah. And so I want to point that back. So we're saying that, let's take it back to the gospel and who is Jesus healing? The invalids, the lame, the weak, the blind. First woman, person he talks to is a woman who is typically, and this is what we say in different sermons, this is less than in that society. Right, and so he shows the equality and the importance of every single life, and that's what we see in the gospels. Is he just heals them, and they come to him, and the downcast in society, and he, and he takes care of them, and and I just love that. And then we see the equality of that we're all creating God's image, and so therefore, as a Christian, I believe as soon as that is conceived, as soon as a baby is conceived and born, it's being knit together by God, and there is a life in the womb. If you go to any abortion clinic anywhere in the United States of America or in any uh, conservative society, you'll find a lot of religious people, be it Muslims or Christians, really holding placards, right? Opposing uh, abortion, right? No, no, I mean, not a ton of them. I mean, yeah, I would say there are some, yeah. There will be Christian groups that are opposed to abortion. And we're saying there's certain things that we are opposed to as Christians. Um, and one of those is we are called to take care of um, the least of these the people who cannot take care of themselves even talks about that in Proverbs 30, Proverbs 31 woman. I'll pull Proverbs 31 here in a second, but it talks about taking care of those who can't take care of themselves, right? And one of those would be the lame widows, children, and orphans. And so one of those is unborn children or something that we should take care of as Christians. So why is there not a consistent narrative at uh, any any of the gallows, uh, Gaius? What do you mean a consistent narrative? Uh, like you don't find Christians setting camp at those places opposing death penalty. Death you, penalty. You, you do. You do. Oh, really? There are a lot of Christian organizations that oppose the death penalty. I myself oppose the death penalty. Is it equivalent to the amount of us people who set camp at abortion clinics? I don't know, but I think it's much more of a moral... Even though I oppose the death penalty, I can say that it's much more of a moral outrage that unborn children are dying at a rate of 900 a day versus a serial killer getting killed. I think both of those things are bad, but I think that one is way worse than the other. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't see a, a, I don't see a problem with, you know, there's more outrage being in the pro-life issue as opposed to the anti-death penalty issue. Yeah. And here it's, it's Proverbs 31, 8, where it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the right of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. In that sense. And that's what she's saying. Um, there's Proverbs 31 as he's talking to her son. And, so, and she talks about the Pro Proverbs 31 woman after that. And so defending the rights of the poor and the needy, those who are destitute, those who cannot speak for themselves, that's what we're called to do as Christians. And therefore, I believe that a human life is, is as soon as it conceived in the womb, when it's just that, um, that sperm and that egg coming together, boom, human life is there. And sanctity of human life begins at that point because we have equality um, inside of that. Now, if we look at the difference between um, someone who's on, on death row and a death penalty and those things or whatnot, if we look at the Old Testament, we see um, a lot of death for um, penalties for crimes. And so I think about like, hey, if you murder somebody else in cold blood, life for a life. It's a death penalty right there. But if you actually murdered someone, they had a city that someone could go to, a, a safe city. They just had throughout Israel, like a person could go and hide there and be there and live until um, the year of Jubilee, every 49 years, every 50 years. And in the and, New Testament, we come across a similar story of a lady caught in adultery, right? We come, we come across a lady caught in adultery. I would not say it's a similar story because adultery and murder are... Two different things, but go ahead. Sorry, go no, ahead. No, I would just say, yeah, I would just say there's, you could say it's a similar story. They're saying, let you who um, without sin cast the first stone yes. inside of that. Um, I would say they're judging her and they brought her specifically to Jesus to find um, a flaw to say, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to let her go? Do you uphold the law? Do you not uphold the law? Um, and that's why he comes back with that response. Um, but we also have, I'm going to say, 
we have to look at as how do we as Christians respond? And then how do we as saying as with the law is for the good of the entire population have as well? Uh, the only reason why I bring this is because I was having a conversation with a friend who um, who was having a hard time really understanding why there's a discrepancy between these two uh, concepts, which yeah. to him sounded quite familiar. And so that's why he was playing the devil's advocate. Well, I didn't quite, the second part of that didn't quite clarify, but I said, take care of those who are poor and needy. The person who committed crimes, right? They are not the poor and needy anymore. They are someone who has committed a crime against, as just like any other sin, against God and then against the people who are in charge of the land, the nation. The poor and the needy, the unborn, has not committed a crime, has not done anything sinful at all yet, um, actually, and is being murdered for that, versus the difference is someone who has committed those crimes, has committed those sins, um, is being convicted and tried and and they're sentencing because of their crimes inside of that. Now, um, you know, if we're for the death penalty or not for the death penalty, the thing is, as Christians, we are called to forgive. Yep. So if that individual happens to be the person who um, shot my father and my mother, man, say they don't they get death penalty, they don't get the death penalty, I'm called to forgive that person, right? I think of, I, I mean, I forget her name here in Dallas. She was a police officer who one or two years ago ended up going to her apartment and guy was in department and she shot him ends up she was on the wrong floor she killed the individual right she thought he was in she thought she was in her apartment and that he was an intruder yeah. so she shot him but she was on the wrong floor, on the wrong was floor. his apartment so, a, a, a huge mistake right and she just but it was a mistake it wasn't like she intentionally killed him but it was one that cost someone else's life and so she was tried and convicted of that to to sentence into prison for that and you see this gentleman's brother come and say i for on the stand i forgive you can i give you a hug which is what? That's what we're called to do. That's the definition of Christian. So no matter what the judge had given that, she, he, the young man said, "Can I forgive? I want to forgive you. I forgive you. And can I give you a hug? And that's how we're supposed to respond as Peter, God's, Jesus says to Peter, forgive 70 times seven, basically endlessly. No. And, you know, also you, you brought up abortion too. And I think the reason why abortion comes up in, in the Christian circle so much is because one, we believe that every life is precious and every life was divinely created by God for a reason. And therefore, we don't have the right to terminate that life in the womb. Mm. Um, so that's that's why it comes up in Christian circles so much. And also, I think practically speaking, the abolitionist movement in the 19th century, that was inspired a lot by Christianity. A lot of people read the Bible and used scripture as a basis for ending slavery. And I think by the same token, if abortion ever does come to an end in the United States, and I hope it will, it'll be a Christian-based movement. It'll be a biblically-based movement. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So we can talk more about that. I would say that we have a, I have a higher standpoint and viewpoint on abortion and, and life and the sanctity of life in that sense more than I do on the death penalty, not the death penalty. Um, when millions of babies die, I mean, millions of babies, I think it was like 30 million have died since Roe v. Wade or something like that. Maybe it's more than that, actually. I think it's probably double. It's a crazy amount, right? Versus how many people have died of the death penalty verse, um, since Roe v. Wade. I have to look those data up and give it to you guys, but it's a drastic difference. It's probably... 100 or less than 100 versus millions and tens of millions, which is crazy. That could be, an, I mean, that we, could, we should probably do an episode on that, actually. Yeah, I mean, and that, all that's the topics, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good topic we can go into for a long time. But the, the pride that it says, again, no, this is the right way. This is my way. There are some ways where you say, man, this is what God says in his word. This is the truth. As a Christian, I'm not being proud about this. This is the truth, and I'm going to stand behind the truth, right? And there are other things where you say, man, you know, the, the word of God doesn't say 100% on this. It's kind of a theologically gray area in this sense. This is what I believe. That's what you believe. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and, and, and lose this argument for the sake of our friendship, for the sake of our unity inside of that. So there's this theologically like, man, I have to hold on to this, the truth. We can't change from that, guys. 
Right, so uh, wow, that has been great. So in conclusion, could we talk more about overcoming superiority, stroke, sanctimony? Like how do we recognize these attitudes? How do we act upon such attitudes? And how do we overcome such attitudes? So like that's a three-tiered question. Recognizing, acting upon, and overcoming. I think you recognize those attitudes the more you pursue Christ, because the more you pursue Christ, the more you understand your own depravity. At least that's been my experience. The more I've understand, the more I've come to know Jesus, the more I realize how messed up and terrible I am in my own life. And in in that understanding, I've also come to understand how prideful I am. I think pride is the root of all my other sins. Um, my road rage, my yeah. being short with people, it all comes from my pride. You have a road rage? Very bad. I'm working on it. It's getting better, but I do have very bad road rage. Um, and when I'm impatient with people, that comes to my pride. And I, I've recognized that not because I read a self-help book. It's mm -hmm. because I read the Bible, and I came to understand the character of God. And in comparison, I realized how messed up I was. And so that's how I recognize it. That's also how I'm trying to solve it. Not by anything I'm doing. It's by radically pursuing Jesus as fast as I can. And in that pursuit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes me more like Christ and hopefully is continuing to chip away at my pride you know, until the day that I die. I would say, ask yourself the two questions. Do you have to win? Do you have to be right? Right. Most likely you have pride inside of that. Or another one is if you're comparing yourself to others and you're saying, oh, I'm better than them or I'm worse than them, there's pride in there. And sometimes there's putting down your own pride or giving someone else pride in that sense. Um, and that's the easiest way to recognize it, right? Do I have to win? Do I have to be right? Do Does this have to happen? Yeah. A lot of times I can find that anyways in life. And even I see that with my wife uh, where I have to be right or I have to, I'm the better chef and I can do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, this is pride. This is hurting our relationship, right? Um, and one thing I've been doing recently is like to get rid of it or after I recognize it, it is... Uh, literally just with my hands open. Um, I wish you guys, your sitting position, palms up, hands are out in front of me or whatnot. And it's like, man, I lose. I'm, I'm surrendering kind of a deal. Like my hands are up, take whatever you want. And I literally actively do that when I win an argument. I'm like, that cost me so much more with my wife or with a friend, or I'm talking with someone, have a discussion. I'm like, is this worth winning? Nah, hands open. I need to lose this one. And, and by lose, I mean like, I just want them to talk. I want to listen to them. That's what I mean. Not, oh, I have to lose everything. No, it's, I'm just letting them talk. I'm going to listen to them. I'm listening to my wife. Um, and then the other night, you know, if you harm someone with that pridefulness, it's going back and saying, man, I saw things through my perspective, through my wife. I, and I literally, 30 seconds later, I had been something, said something to her mean because, or not necessarily mean, but she'd been in the car. She texts me. She's like, hey, get your stuff out of the car. I've been trying to pray with a friend, text a friend about some prayer requests and what's going on. And I came back in there and was like, babe, I was, I was texting people about prayer requests. This stuff's going on. And she, I was like, you just didn't understand where I was at. And then I go upstairs and I'm like, man, she knew that I needed to get to bed and I didn't see her perspective in things. And so I, was, I apologized to her and said, I didn't see your perspective. So the third step would be apologizing to that person saying, I didn't see your perspective. You know, I'm not perfect. I don't understand everything. So please forgive me for that. Also, one, that's really good. One quick story. Um, during World War II, George Patton, the greatest I love it when Roe I, I knew he was going yeah. Patton. I, I love George Patton. He said, well, I'm like, oh, hey, here comes Patton. Here comes Patton. We love George Patton. So World War II, George Patton, he's trying to go through the German forest, and it just rains, like torrential downpour for like seven days, right? And he's a tank guy, so he's trying to move all these tanks through a thick German forest in pouring rain. And so he goes into a bombed-out church, drops to his knees, prays to God, and he said, God, I want to I want to surrender this to you. I'm anxious mm. about this rain. I want to surrender this to you. And the Lord came through, he provided, the rain stopped, and, you know, Patton was able to get his tanks through the forest, and they rescued the 101st Airborne, and it's a great story, right? And I bring that up not because, you know, God's always going to give us a yes when we want a yes, because sometimes he doesn't. I bring that up because George Patton, the biggest, baddest, you know, greatest general mm. in modern American history, he's winning all these battles, he's doing, you know, he's just ripping through Germany, 
And even though he's had all this success, he, he had the humility when he needed to go to God, he dropped to his knees and he surrendered it to God. He was willing to do that. Mm. And I think in our own lives, it doesn't matter how successful we are or how big and bad and smart and great we think we are, we're always, we're never too good to drop to our knees and surrender something to God. Yeah, that's probably the first and foremost important thing is saying, God, I can't do this without you and help me to see the ways in my life where I'm being prideful that I can't even see. And then the ones you do recognize, call them out and say, God, take this away from me. Help me to be humble in this area, to be meek and Gentile. If it's not pleasing to you, take it out of me. Have your way. I love this. This has been a great episode, guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have been learning from this. Uh, we don't have the answers to everything, but we hope that uh, you are constantly and consistently pointed back to Christ. Uh, remember to tell your friends about Jesus and shine in the light. Remember to leave a like, subscribe, and comment somewhere or send us an email. Until next time, beautiful people. Remember, God is delighting over you. Yes. Ciao, bello. Good tigers. Adios, muchachos. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope you were encouraged and inspired to turn to the only one who can and will satisfy you. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them out. Feel free to reach us on any social media platform at shine and delight you can also shoot us an email at shine and delight at outlook.com until next time be kind love all share your shine